welcome all and thank you for tuning in to the Bad Hombres FC podcast where we talk all things soccer in the DMV. My name is Jose Mana, sports writer for the Sports Pulse and joining me as always is my co-host Mario Maya from El Tiempo Latino. Mario, how you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, uh, I learned something valuable today. Don't do an Axios uh, interview if you're not prepared. Not going to comment. Anywho, before <laughs> we get into the MLS's back tournament that is currently in progress, recently it was uh, discussed via Twitter as well as on The Athletic that MLS has plans to make a tentative schedule to be announced. According to Stephen Gall from The Washington Post, the league is currently working on a schedule where the first set of matches scheduled for August 21st, and then the next stage of matches will be played in a three-week span dating from the 21st through September 13th. A lot of these games are going to be very localized in order to have teams travel in and out, whether it's with a bus drive or a charter flight, and so they don't have to stay in a hotel. So in this case, you may see a lot of the California derbies. You may see a lot of the I-495 Atlantic Cup the first match for DC United under this proposed system, allegedly, according to Stephen Goff, is on the road against FC Cincinnati and then at home against the New England Revolution. Mario, what are your thoughts on what Goff has released? And we'll get more into the nitty gritty with what The Athletic reported. But um, what are your thoughts so far on what Goff has released in United playing both Cincy and New England? Um, I think it's interesting. Um, I'm, if this is all true, I, I like the fact that MLS was kind of thinking ahead while during, during this tournament. And, you know, um, prior to the, to the stoppage of the league, DC United was supposed to play Cincinnati. So I think, um, I think they chose an interesting opponent to go on the road to and uh, giving a home game against New England. It's all. Uh, it's also pretty pretty interesting. Just a uh, level of opponents and what MLS is proposing, having teams either charter flights or take buses into the city you're supposed to play to play in and then leave the same day, is also an interesting proposition. Yeah, I, that part. Let's just be honest here. When you're thinking about the coronavirus, you could be in and out like swimwear, but. Everyone has to be checked. Everybody needs to make sure that they're tested. That is the key thing when it comes to this. We see the problems that the MLB is having. And so when it comes to Major League Soccer, if they're going to continue playing in their home markets, allegedly, they have to be smart. And if they're going to be traveling in and out, they have to be cautious of the people they interact with. If they're going to be in charter flights, make sure everybody is tested and approved and clean. It's going to be like that, and I think it's going to be like that for the foreseeable future. Again, I think a lot of this is coming from the mistakes of Major League Baseball, where players were undisciplined, and there were a lot of questions as if, you know, where's the protocols? And in this case, MLS was like, we're not going to even let you try to mess this up. We're going to try and make sure you can go home right away so we don't waste a lot of time. Someone who's driving this bus or piloting this flight is getting paid extra to do this, and that is great for them. And overall, look, at the end of the day, I'm not worried about the staffing. I'm worried about players getting sick 
and spreading it on to others and hurting themselves. And I'm worried about some of these local markets. We'll get to one in particular trying to play games in front of fans. And it still concerns me that the league hasn't made a full-fledged decision on whether to have fans back or not. I don't think fans should be back at all for the rest of the year. But I do think that at some point the league is going to have to make a decision. We see it with the USL and how many teams are already behind two games because of the coronavirus testing. We see fans are back. Luckily, we haven't heard about fans getting sick at these venues, but it's early, too early to tell about them. So it's going to be weird if they're going to continue playing in their home markets, if one market does not allow fans and the other one does. I think the league is going to have to, in my opinion, make a cold-hearted decision and say yes or no before and, do, and just take it away from the states in this case. Right. I mean, that, that's the other thing. Like, I know that some places coronavirus isn't as bad as it is in other states. Maybe I'm just I'm just sounding optimistic there in, in some instances. But, yeah, you got to take a uniform decision on whether you allow fans back into the stadiums or not. And I think per, as well, I'm of the, of the mindset of you shouldn't let any fans come in the, to the venues for the rest of the year. Not because, you know, MLS is opposed to having fans in the stadium it's it's a safety issue and with all the protocols that they they've been that they want to implement i think it's a good thing you're learning from the mistakes of others in particular major league baseball and having them say listen you're going to be in this city for a certain time you're getting the hell out of the city as soon as this game is done either but either being bussed home or flying back home so I think MLS doesn't want to run the risk, and if you want to if further the further the chances of you not running the risk of getting people contaminated or catching the coronavirus, you just don't allow fans in for the rest of the year. What whatever they're doing with uh, the bubbles and during, with the uh, MLS's back tournament or the NBA and the NHL or what the NWSL did with the Challenge Cup, it's working. So. I think you just got to find a happy medium right now between between those and go back to getting fans back into the stadium in general in 2021. Yeah, I agree. You know, our local club, DC United, and I see fans continuously ask, are they going to have fans back in the stadium? And the thing is, staffing's not going to be my worry. Like I said earlier, it's going to be allowing guests into the building that you don't know have been tested, you don't know who they've been around and what kind of safety issues that's going to occur. We see at the USL games that we don't know yet. It's too early to tell if the fans that have been allowed to these venues while they've been small, if they've been impacted or infected, you know, I'm not going to be one to judge. However, for especially our club in particular, you know, the University of Maryland football team just announced their schedule and they said they're going to follow Prince George's County guidelines means no fans. I don't expect DC United to get a pass from the mayor's office when the mayor has clearly stated that her restrictions may last to the end of the year, which is currently 50 people or less in indoor venues and and entertainment venues. So I don't see DC United getting a pass at the if right now the Nationals aren't getting a pass. And again, that worry, Juan Soto, we had no fans in the venue and he got uh, the coronavirus. So 
that's always going to be in the mind, especially of politicians that control these kind of regulations. So I just don't see the league should make it mandatory, whatever they decide to do. But I just don't see even our local club uh, getting fans back through the door this season. No, not at all. So I, I think what we can do is just as, as fans and as journalists, when it comes to this kind of situation, you know, just wait it out. Uh, it's a pandemic, so it's one of those things that's unpredictable. Everything is fluid, so it's wait and see at this point. But the Athletic reported more about the, what the schedule could look like. It looks, according to the Athletic, teams will play six games between August 22nd and September 13th. The three Canadian teams, Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver, would remain in Canada and play only against each other during this phase. Phase two would have 12 games slated between September 16th and November 8th. And that would help bring each team's grand total to 23 games, including the two games from the pre-pandemic period, as well as the three group stage games. Stephen Goff had mentioned in his tweet previously before these new tweets that there he talked to a source saying that FC Dallas and Nashville will play each other three times to deter, to have them equal out the missing games from the MLS's back tournament. Lastly, the last key part of this um, phase is the hope is that the Canadian teams will be cleared to travel in the United States by September. So MLS is, we, we've seen leagues do this before where they think they can play a future mind maker here and hope that, <laughs> that these other coronavirus things go away. They're hoping by September the Canadian teams can travel. And then lastly, the playoffs would begin in the post. The, here's the, what the Athletics said, quote, at the conclusion of the regular season, 18 teams. Why? <laughs> Nine per <laughs> conference with Nashville remaining in the East for 2020 would advance to the postseason, which would kick off. On November 20th, the week before Thanksgiving, the teams would face off in single elimination tournament with the MLS Cup serving as the conclusion in its for this unusual 2020 season on December 12th. The 12-day break in between the end of the regular season, which is scheduled to be in October, late October into November, was will be planned out because of the FIFA international window between November 9th and the 17th. Mario, what do you think of this phase process? I personally think, look, this is the best that they can do. Everyone's going to try and play at this point. They're all out for the money. Let's just be real. And so if they're going to do this, at least the Canadian thing is going to be the most interesting part to work out for, in my opinion. But what's your thoughts overall? Um, I love the fact that they're playing mind reader here and saying that there's going to be a FIFA date in November. We don't even know they're going to cancel the rest of the FIFA dates for the rest of the year. Again, this situation is fluid. When it comes to what Canada is doing, you know, I can't say, oh, you know, the Canadians are going to be able to come back into the, are going to be allowed to come into the United States by September. Uh, I think 
planning it out by phases is probably the best course of action because you just don't know how this is going to pan out at the end. And I like that they that they have these in stages and have these going into certain dates and then giving teams us giving teams a small window to you know take a break take a break from the action. So all in all, it is the best course of action. But if it'll plan out, it'll pan out the way that they have it phased is just wait and see. Yeah, with the Canadian teams, I hope they have a backup plan in terms of if they're not allowed to. The key here is will they allow not the Canadian teams to leave? They can leave. The thing is, will they allow the MLS teams to come in and out? That's going to be the problem. And we'll see what Canada thinks. Uh, MLS is a bit playing this long game of hopefully the, the United States gets better as well as Canada is okay with the with the teams traveling. As we've seen with MLB, DC United needs to, not DC United, excuse me, Major League Soccer needs to have a plan in case we have a situation where the Canadian teams do not allow them to basically free roam travel. If they are restricted in travel, they need to have a backup plan, whether it is playing at Tampa Bay. Put, and for one, I guess one year, it'd be the Tampa Bay Toronto FC or playing in St. Louis or, or having a third team in New York. Whatever the plan is, there needs to be a backup plan. Because right now, if they don't have a backup plan, it's not going to look good. And we're going to have the situation like we did with MLS is back. Where we're gonna have three now we're gonna have three teams that are gonna be behind the eight ball when league starts. Right. I mean, personally, I'm not opposed to the Vermont impact, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of these things where you really gotta you really gotta play this by ear because you don't know what the situation is gonna be for Montreal, Vancouver, and Toronto at the restart. And they could be, like you said, they could be behind the eight ball after if they don't have a proper plan in place. Right. But that's the future. Let's talk about the now. Currently, MLS is back, is having its semifinals. And uh, first semifinal being played today is the Portland Timbers versus the Philadelphia Union. Currently, the... Timbers are leading one nothing thanks to a goal by Jerome Bovese from Bethesda, Maryland, with the header to get the score. Mario, we can't really go into who we think will win, being that the match is currently in progress. But <laughs> what is your thoughts of these two teams' um, performance in the tournament so far? And does this semifinal surprise you compared to what many people probably expected? I'll be honest. I underrated Philly coming into this tournament, even though they played so well last season. I just thought that they would hit a wall at some point. Um, Santos has played really well. Of course, Alejandro Bedoya has finally found his footing in MLS. And I I just like how that team plays. And, of course, Portland's Portland. You can never count out Portland in these type of tournament scenarios. For me personally, I also thought Philadelphia was gonna was not gonna make it this far. I had them going into the quarterfinals, one one stage further than what that what they what I had them going in, but they've been playing really well. I think Jim Curtin has found 
this te- has made this team work and they play well as a unit. Also, they have really good young players coming up. In con- in particular, Aronson, who's been lights out. But Sergio Santos has also been a key factor. He scored some key goals. Alejandro Bedoya has been playing pretty solid throughout this tournament. Ilsenio coming off the bench has also been really good for Port- for Philadelphia. So Philadelphia has found its footing and what may be a team that can be a threat coming back into the league just by the mix of youth and experience that they have. And I'm also going to tip your hat, my hat off to you here real quick. You called it. Philadelphia, no, sorry, Portland is a really, is really a tournament team. And they've showed it throughout this whole turn. <laughs> I wasn't trying, that was a lucky pick. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they've played really well. I think it comes down to coaching. Giovanni Savarese has this team really motivated. Uh, it helps when you have a player that can shift the, the momentum of a game at a moment's notice, like Diego Valeri. Sebastian Blanco has been really good as well. And Abobasi, for what he's contributed, he's also done pretty well in this tournament. So all in all, I kind of expected Portland to make it here because this is this is the prototype prototype of a tournament team. They can be streaky, but when they need to turn it on, they turn it on, and ain't nobody stopping them. Yeah, Jerome Rossi is an interesting story. Um, from my knowledge, a guy who tried out for the DC United Academy didn't get in, played in high school, played uh, club ball. And got into of all the schools, the universe uh, Duke got the University of Duke, uh, but he only played two seasons with Duke, scored nine goals and seven assists. But he was really known as a midfielder. It was when he got to Portland where he really shined, and he, they actually gave him that opportunity to play striker. And he has really shown, especially in this tournament, how good he can be. In the striker role, currently this year he has three goals in five matches, and probably he just scored his fourth if you count what just happened in these in these uh in this semifinal. So it's it's good to see him. He's been really the standout of the tournament. We talked about weaknesses in the past in terms of the U.S. depth pool. This is one of the reasons I don't worry. If you have good coaching and good scouting. You find a guy like Jerome Boise and you put him in the national team. For me, he's already on the national team. He should be a strike, a lead striker on the national team after this. If, and also, like, you know, you kind of gave credit to this right at the start of the tournament. Sebastian Blanco, you gave him his credit. He came, he has become probably the real difference maker whenever the Diego Valerity is gassed or just can't handle, you know, he, he's come in with an injury. So whenever he can't play, Sebastian Blanco's really come up and turned huge for uh, for the Timbers. So right now the Timbers lead one nothing. Philadelphia Union just missed a penalty kick. And we shall see who comes out of this. The second semifinal is, for those who don't know, is Orlando City versus Minnesota. What are your thoughts, Mario, on this semifinal? Who do you have coming out of it? All right, two things. First off, to finish the Portland thing, 
Andy Polo scored an absolute filthy goal on Saturday, so shout out to him. Uh, and I want to take this time to apologize to Orlando because I didn't really <laughs> have him going far, if not even getting out of the first round in this tournament. And they're a semifinalist. I think they've kind of surprised me in a way, but they are a team that can play well, but also demonstrated against LAFC in the quarterfinals. They can grind out a result and pull it at and pull it, pull it together to make, to get the job done. And I think the heart and soul of this team has been Nani and everybody's all the, the players have rallied around Nani with his experience and, and so on and so forth. And also with Oscar Pereja, pretty much getting this team motivated, they, They've been able to pull this deep run, and I, I can I can admit it. I was wrong about how they were going to finish this tournament, but I'm also pretty impressed on what they've been able to do at the same time. While as Minnesota, I think last year getting them getting to the Open Cup final was also like this kind of like a thing for them. Adrian with Adrian Heath altogether is that they can be a tournament team as well. And they, they've shown it in spades. And I think they've done a, they've also done a really good job. They've been able to knock out teams like the Columbus Crew, also grind out results, and, you know, the, you get the, this semifinal, which is kind of unexpected if you didn't have these two teams going far in this tournament. Yeah, I didn't have Minnesota at all, even getting out of the group stages let alone getting this far i underestimated their growth and you know on mlssoccer.com they they talk about in an article with ian quillen that the motivation like you mentioned was losing out in that open cup final and what that what drives them is the fact that the winner of this tournament gets to go to the ccl goes to the Concacaf champions league and they see that as not just the growth for the club. They see it as it proof that we're a, we're a club to contend with, to be someone to be looked at and not just some middling MLS club. And I, and I like that. I like that ambition for, you know, for those who probably didn't know him until this tournament, Chase Gasper, who was chosen in, the la in last year's Super Draft, um, not this year, but the last year, um, the University of Maryland, the guy's a really good defender, and he's really showing for Minnesota. Um, he's helping out in the flanks whenever possible. When he needs to come in at centrally, he's really helped. And I got to give the devil in his due. Adrian Heath, man, after that pitiful display with Orlando, he's really made this Minnesota team into a contender and a, a battling team. But to Orlando point let's be honest orlando is being driven by one man this is a one-man show this is the nani show nani's the reason this team is is doing what they're doing they're overachieving massively they're going to go in tomorrow once again without dawn dwyer their best striker and it's the nani show i mean what do you what else is there to say nani was the reason this team is playing well since he's gotten there he's taking it seriously and he has shown to be not just the captain of this team, but to be a little bit of that, the key clog that that you want a captain, especially in the midfield, to be. Be the guy who, he 
he does he's doing more tracking back than I ever saw him do in Europe ever. <laughs> and he's doing it and it's paying dividends. He's helping on the, the defensive level as well on the offensive level. And not for nothing, the youth around that team, Oscar Pereira has done a good job at mixing the youth with Nani and when he's healthy, Dom Dwyer. So hopefully um they they get lucky tomorrow, but I just see right now this is one of those games that I won't be surprised if it goes to PKs. Right. Uh, I could definitely see that. And also one other thing is it's a hell of a motivation if you want to host a CCL game in the month of February in the city of St. Paul, Minnesota. So (laughs) that, that should be an interesting proposition when a Central American or Caribbean team is told, hey, listen, you're playing Minnesota in February. In negative 22-degree weather. Good luck with that. <laughs> Definitely. So we're not obviously going to pick who's going to win today's game. And it would be kind of pointless to pick tomorrow. So, Mario, who you got winning this game, this tournament on August 11th? You know what? From everything that I, that I have seen, I'm going to go with Portland. Uh, one of the reasons is I'm tracking back to their 2015 run where it just clicked for them. Mm-hmm. And once you get this team going on a hot streak, they, there's no stopping them. So my money is on Portland winning this tournament on, on August 11th. I picked Portland originally to be a sleeper pick. I'm going just because there has to be a contrarian here even though Portland is, again, my sleeper pick, I'm going to pick Orlando. Normally, I don't like Orlando, (laughs) Uh, but I just think it's so reminiscent. Not not only going out here playing ball, Joao Matinho, who had his revenge game in the other round against LAFC, Uh, Galice, their goalkeeper, you know, that whole defense has played marvelous since the first game of the tournament. I think Orlando's on an interesting run and it's going to be, I'm going to be interested in how it goes through Minnesota. I do think that's going to PKs, but it just smells like Nani, like his, his fellow countryman, Cristiano Ronaldo. I, this just smells like a one man show and a one man wrecking crew. And it's going to happen. I, I see Orlando taking it at home. So what you mean to tell me is Orlando is going to pull a 2016 Portugal Euro Cup run. That or any phase of Manchester United, Real Madrid playing terribly, and Cristiano Ronaldo saving them. <laughs> Fair enough. But um, we then we went to looking into the future, the now, and... Since we don't have much time left, we're going to look into the past and very few topics, actually. But we're going to look into the past. Um, Mario had mentioned this. We kind of mentioned this in the last podcast, talking about Jaime Moreno and how Marco Echeverri's name popped back up because he's going to donate a couple of his jerseys from when he was on the Bolivian national team, when he played in Bolivia, as well as when he played at DC United to help with Jaime Moreno to pay for Jaime Moreno's surgery and his eye recovery that 
Mario thought of let's talk about the great one, Marco Echeverri, the number, the first and best number 10 the, the team's ever had. Um, when he retired in, well, he didn't retire. We'll get to that in a second. But when he departed from DC United, he left as the career assist leader with 101 assists. Games played 191, starts 180, was second in scoring with in terms of points collected at 169. He and he's only one he at the time he was one of five players, one of six players to have first and corner kicks taken and first in yellow cards. Random fact. <laughs> but what are your thoughts, Mario? First of all, you chose this topic, so why talk about Echeverry and what do you remember of his time playing with DC? First off, when you talk about DC United history, you talk about Marco Echeverry because this man was, in a lot of ways, the franchise player, the original franchise player that this club had. I remember my, I remember a lot of people talking about those about those teams in the 90s, and he was one of the catalysts, just pretty much playing as a natural number 10 and absolutely destroying defenses, not by his dribbling ability. He wasn't the fastest player in the world, but this man could put a pass anywhere. He could pinpoint, pinpoint a pass, drop the ball there perfectly. So he, in that regard, one of the best number 10s in this league ever. And also, he transcends community because, again, we discussed this about Jaime Moreno a few, a few episodes back when we were looking back at his career. He is pretty important to the Bolivian community, which is pretty numerous here in the D.C. area. And they, they view him as someone, as someone as, I guess we could say, in, rega- in regards to them as countrymen, uh, in the regards of Maradona for Argentina, Pelé for Brazil, he is regarded as one of their best players because he was the leader of their golden generation that qualified to the 1994 World Cup. What I remember most about Marco Echeverri was the plays and also just the sheer amount of people that went to go see him at a certain time, just to see him play alongside with Raul Diaz Arce, alongside Jaime Moreno. And oddly enough, a bad memory would be him getting a red card at the home opener of the 2000 season against the LA Galaxy, but I won't get to that. Of course, you bring the negative and everything. You had to go ahead and bring red cards in here. I bring up the positives. Um, you know, he he's a legend. There's just nothing about it. When you hear people talk about their top 11 MLS list, like you always see him on there because... He was the original DP. He was, and you didn't get this until recently. For those who followed DC Knight's uh, Twitter feed and their YouTube channel, just hearing him speak, he just spoke like someone with infinite knowledge. Like he spoke like a captain, and that's what it was. He he took that mantle as captain. And he took it very seriously, and he was the type of player that. When DC United started winning trophies, he was like, okay, it's great that we won them. It's about retaining that victory. He played in Copa Sudamericanas. He played in Copa uh, Libertadores. And he knew about the, the legacy of those tournaments. And he said, 
hey, we're going into these CONCACAF Champions Cups. We're going to win them. We're going to go into this Inter-America Cup. We're going to win them. And that was that was key. You know, he brought prestige to the club because of his passion. And when you hear him talk about the club, that that's one thing that I love about Marco. And we got to meet him over at the... Um, I've met him various times, but recently we met him before the Legends game at the final game at RFK. And you could just... Even if just him t- taking a picture with you, you just felt like this certain gravitas that you don't feel with a lot of MLS players. Uh, you feel it with a lot of the European players that come over. You see, you feel it sometimes with some of the American players that come back. You know, I, you know, like Clint Dempsey, a little bit with Michael Bradley, Landon Donovan. But you don't feel it with like your average MLS player. You felt it with Heinemann, with Moreno, and you felt it with Marco Echeverri. And Marco brought a lot of prestige. He made you care. You didn't have to speak Spanish or have him speak English. He was a star. And when you think about the fact that he only scored 34 goals, but it's the assists. If there's things that I would tell someone to go look back at those old DC United games, it would be look at where Jaime's positioned and look where Marco's positioned and look at that assist that Marco is about to give. Marco was excellent assist making, excellent defining players. You know, it sucks that in 2004, the team just felt that it was time to move on and Echeverria was 33 going on 34 and they didn't resign him. He elected to go back to Bolivia, play one more season, and then he retired. It would have been interesting to at least have him there, especially considering what happened a few weeks later with Freddie Adu being drafted and the return of Jaime Moreno and the growth of Aleko Skandarian. It would have been great if in that season, yes, they had Ernie Stewart that helped along the way. And you had, a, you know, you had Nelson and you had all these other players that helped with it. But it would have been good to have someone like Marco Echeverri be that mentor that some of those younger guys needed. Right, and also one of the other things where G understands about playing prestige, he also led Bolivia to a Copa America final in 1997. He was the uh, he was the captain and one of the catalysts for them to get as far as they did. Even though they were the home host nation that year, but for them that was a big deal, and for him it's a big deal too. He was able to pretty much, like you said, he was able to establish like, hey, we need to win these games. And they didn't play, like, when they won the CONCACAF title in 1998 and the Inter-Americana in 1998, they weren't playing, like, any old teams. They were playing Toluca, who was entering their stride as one of the teams of that decade in Mexico. And then they were playing Vasco da Gama, who had a young Juninho who would go on to Lyon. But they were coming in as the Copa Libertadores champions and were going to face Real Madrid in an inter in the Intercontinental Cup later that year. So he understood that gravitas, and I also got to meet Echeverry numerous times, in particular the last time for the final game at RFK. You could just tell people were lined up just to take a picture with this man. That's the importance of Marco Echeverry to DC United. And not just, you know, older fans. You had older fans telling younger fans, like, this guy was the man for the club. 
And also the fact that I got to take a picture with Jaime Moreno and Marco Echeverri is pretty damn awesome. It's up there on my social media. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's one of those, you know, yes, you get to take a picture with the two legends. But uh, no, for me, when I because I did the same thing, it was more of like my childhood memories going through because I remember meeting him. And this is how what kind of a guy Marco was. He would make... While he was big in theory, he would make those appearances in terms of, you know, I met him multiple times when I was a DC Scores kid. And, you know, I still have the hats and the shirts he autographed. And while in the middle of the game, he was watching my art school play. He was like, you know, if you guys would just do this and this, he's coaching us. Mind you, that's the bench. There's guys playing on the field, and they're getting jealous that we're getting tips from Marco Echeverri on what we should do, and we're fifth and sixth graders. Like, we're just amazed, let alone that this guy's giving us tips. You know, he's saying, you know, educate yourself and using both feet. Use the outside part of your shoe when possible. And, you know, these were things he was famous for. Everybody remembers the toe pokes and, and the heel flicks and things like that, but the beauty was his assist making, the the way he read a field, the read a defense, and if he caught you cheating, or as a defender tried to catch you slipping, he'd make that interesting pass where he saw the striker coming at a weird diagonal run and put it on a perfect dime so they can score. You know, he was probably Roy Lasseter's greatest friend because Roy <laughs> had that record breaking season. Why? Because Marco put the ball in the most perfect position possible every time. Hey, if anything, he made Jaime, Jaime Moreno's goal-scoring career with them wonderful assists. Most deaf. And and look, I think, <laughs> and he was still doing it in that in that uh, retirement game. Well, it wasn't retirement game, but in that Legends game where. He was, you know, people were giving him space, but he was demanding some of the defenders to take him on. I personally didn't want to see that, being that Marcos and me are kind of the same shape, overweight. And <laughs> and and I did not want to see an ankle broken, but he was out here trying to make magic happen, and he's always good for that. He's always a wizard with the ball, and he's one of those players that it's like once in a generation type. You know, we're lucky to have the DPs we have now, but it, man, if Marco Echeverri, I, I'm telling you, he'd be one of the top 10 players right now. If he had the same nutrition, had the same help, had the same salary structure, let alone that, he would be one of the best players in the league right now. Oh, absolutely. I, I think, I think for me personally, it's just he, he transcends what it is to be a club legend i mean that that's it like there there isn't much to say like other than this man made dc united what it was in the 90s along with jaime moreno along with john harks along with the role diaz arces carlos Yamosas, jeff agus eddie popes of the world he, he made he was the he was the crown jewel of that of that team in the midfield. And so it's kind of hard to find someone to, to transcend the way he did ever again, not saying that it's not that hard, but for him to come straight into MLS and pretty much just put it in the map and put the league on notice, 
kind of hard to do. Exactly. He was one of the original uh, 10 players to come in, give up a European salary, give up a South American salary, come to a growing league, and help it establish itself. And he went through some dark times with DC United in the in 96, as well as towards the end. And, and that's why I say, you know, it would have been nice if Freddie Adu, because who knows what kind of trajectory Freddie Adu, Aleko Skandarian would have had. If Marco was at least on the bench for the for those final years and to, to just mentor these guys, I think they would have benefited a lot. But then again, who knows? We could he could have played, and we may not have seen those guys play. So we'll never know. But he's just one of those mercurial talents that this league has never seen since, and will probably never see again. I think of you know comparisons for those who probably never saw him play. Think of. Quatemo Blanco on steroids and not yelling at the referee as often. I and, would, I would not getting banned from Boyd's Maryland, and then not getting red cards. Exactly, like a guy that was strictly about the game. You know, he was a silent killer. And you know, recently he spoke on that podcast, at least quarantine podcast. You see, I had, and he's right. DC kind of lost its prestige in the past couple of years. But the club should bring it back. And when it does, I would say bring someone like Marco back in, in, in reclaiming some of that prestige in terms of international prestige as well as local prestige. Because that's something that Marco really left a mark. You still, to this day, have people from South America and people from Central America ask about DC United. And Marco's one of the main reasons why. Right. And, you know, that's why we still speak fondly about this man till this day. Exactly. But we don't have to speak anymore because <laughs> we've gone yapping our mouths for a while. And there's actually a match going on. So, Mario, go ahead. Tell people where they can find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing. So you can find me on Twitter at MarioAmaya1. You can find any of my articles on El Tiempo Latino. You can follow them on Twitter at El Tiempo Latino. Or online at eltiempolatino.com or wherever new, wherever newspapers are sold or handed out. Yep, and you can always follow me as always on Jose underscore M underscore Mana for more content, whether it's on the Sports Pulse or anywhere else I'm working. Thank you for tuning in to the Battle Embrace FC podcast. Special shout out as always to Kevin McLeod and Impotech for, for the intro music, breaking Portland has scored again. They are up 2-0 as we head out. Remember, rate and subscribe on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Mario, thank you once again for all your help, and thank you, the listener, for tuning in. We will talk to you soon. Adios.